This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today we bring back to the show Tom for part two of his episode, where we talk more about his experiences coming to leather and some of his philosophy on what he likes to call sex magic. With that said, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more leather talk. So we are back with a bottle of wine for our part two, you guys. Um, welcome back to the show, Tom. Thanks. <laughs> um, we are still in the dungeon, which... Can you tell us a little bit about your dungeon here? This... Well, Dave and I, my husband and I, back in 2011 or so, 2010, threw some uh, fisting parties. Let's call it Ass Bust. Ass bust fisting parties, and it was at a pro dom studio about a mile south of here. Um, a woman that I knew actually 10 years ago when I was there's pictures of her when I won my title, she was on stage with me right then. Uh, we'll say she was an interesting character. Um, <laughs> okay, and so I learned, I learned from her, I learned from her about putting on an event production and throwing a sex party and um, volunteers and what it took to have a party of like 50. You know, the last one we did, it was a Tom of Finland, part of the Tom of Finland art fair. And we jumped to about 130 guests. Jesus. That was massive. And so this is a large, it was a large industrial space down here. And we had a dozen slings probably wow. and furniture and for fisting for fisting. Yeah. As we speak, I mean, you have a, a red hanky on your lap I, there. Yeah. <laughs> I have a few colors. Um, Yes. Yeah, so anyway, we we did these parties, and then um, she got greedy, and just as I was kind of getting the hang of things, she doubled the rent on a Sunday. But anyway, so I, I was looking for someplace else. You know, I decided, well, let's just go small. Okay. And this little room was a quality control test laboratory for the smoked fish factory that used to operate next door before gentrification came through this neighborhood. Okay. This was all smoked fish, frozen fish along the street. And for context, we're in downtown Los Angeles. We are in the arts district, in our legitimate artist lofts. So anyway, um, because I've been here for so long, I've been here like 18 years, um, I let it be known that I was looking for a space, and, and uh, this was offered to me, and it has a, it had a sink in it, in it, hot and cold running water. And uh, what, what I did was I adapted it, and, and there's now a bathtub in there with hot and cold running water in one little room and then the main room is where I've, everything else is with a little kind of little camo netting on the ceiling and mirrors and artwork and all of the whips by Daleks vloggers we have for sale and the music and media center and a St. Andrew's cross and a sling and a cage and uh, oh a rim seat on a toilet and a toilet rim seat <laughs> on a chain hinged to a Hitch to an electric motor so you can raise and lower, you know, with precision. Avoid neck strain if you get the picture. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's my favorite. And uh, So it's been just a little space. And, and instead of spending, you know, a couple of thousand dollars for a weekend to travel somewhere like IML, I sort of spread that budget money across the entire year and have something available whenever I want it. Yeah, it's very special in here. Thanks. Yeah. That's a, definitely an energy. You know, it's like I'm talking about creating sacred male space. Uh, I, that's a real thing to me. And, you know, coalescing male energy together in a room um, and then just seeing what happens. You wow. know, you put a bunch of guys together and you see what happens. That's where I feel most um, at home mm -hmm. because of my, when I grew up, you know, all the influences and things that I, influences that I didn't have and influences that I did and my own interests, just following my own path and my own interest as a gay man. Um, so 
Yeah, space, spaces like that. We used to have a studio next door, a large, another thousand square foot space for a few years. Um, and that was also sacred male space as well. Uh, there's the title holders. You know, we did title holder things down in there and had boot camps and parties. And uh, Dave made the floggers and I sold vintage leather clothes. And, uh, it, it, you know, just... I, I just love it. I, I love getting men together in a space where they feel safe and then you just sort of see what develops. Yeah. You know, and just feel that organic, unimpeded energy that, that just, so things just, you know, start taking their natural course. And before you know it, everybody's having a really good time. And, you know, when we'd sell clothes down there, guys would get naked and try stuff on. And, you know, it just sort of, well, it's an environment where things could happen, sort of like dark corners in a bar. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love that. I, I really love that, where you can just be that sexual, erotic self and help other people find, you know, clothing that makes them feel erotic. You know, this it's like a Cinderella thing. You know, you're selling used stuff and somebody comes along and they fit into a pair of pants just perfectly. It's perfect. It's like it's painted on it like it was made for them. And you'd see this look of power come on their face like, oh, my mm. God, that's the first time they'd ever put on a piece of leather that really fit them. Yeah. And it's marvelous. It just, it's like, you know, a, if you want a mentor, if you want to just create an environment for people, but we'd be helping, you know, subsequent title holders after I ran 10 years ago. And Dave would, Dave would do alterations and we'd dress people and, get them nice leather at affordable prices from used things because you know everyone knows it's this is not a poor man's game this is a rich man's game particularly if you like new things mm-hmm. um which is uh, so we'd get somebody their first pair of chaps things like that and that was very joyful it's just so joyful to to be able to do that take things from people's estates or things that didn't fit people anymore that were just sitting around and and you know, man, we never made any money. <laughs> Not at all. We're terrible business people. You know, we're just the worst. Okay, we just we finally just became onerous to keep paying the rent on it every. So we had to close it down. But while we had it, you know, again, ephemera. The space was ephemeral. It was there for four years, and then poof, it was gone. Mm. You know, bars come and go. You know, cuffs was there for years, and then poof, it was gone. And it's just like anything. That's why. It's so important that we're good to each other today, you know, and that we're, we're, we try to always be good to each other and forgiving and empathic um, and perverted and sexy and dirty and raunchy and nasty along with it, you know. But do it in an atmosphere where our humanity can just really be no cameras, no spying, no surveillance, no nothing, just locked away. And, and let nature take its course. Let impulses be felt and connections made. That's what I'm you, about. I don't know if it's you or the wine, but I'm getting chills. <laughs> <laughs> well, I honestly, this is my, now, the, I have to say this too, because uh, I know that that can sound exclusionary. I know to some people that what I'm saying is going to sound exclusionary. Okay. But, but I want to say this is the, what I describe as a personal pleasure, mm-hmm. what I believe is a community value is that everybody deserves representation. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, I've heard that Voltaire said, I may not agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it, or in this case, be it or wear it. Mm. You know, um, I really do believe that. Because otherwise it's a conundrum. Then you feel caught in it's an us versus them. And you damn kids get off my leather lawn. And, you know, old people looking at young people going, oh, we're not doing it right. It's like, I move, you know, that's all, no, none of that, none of that applies to me. I see a new generation that's doing things differently because they've made this time their own in their lives. Mm-hmm. They're at an age now. We don't go out to the bar so much anymore. But when I went out, I had long hair. In a, in and my elders were all like buzz cuts and military and you know they were much closer to the military discipline origins of leather in this community, mm. and so I was the 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 young upstart <laughs> with beautiful curly blonde hair pulled back in a ponytail, 
which I loved until it all fell out um, and turned gray. (laughs) 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 Then (laughs) traveled down my back and my ears, my nose, like every other old man. Uh So yeah, sacred male space. It's a thing. And I, I, I love it. I work towards it. It's what appeals to me. It's what gets me going. But everybody deserves representation. I mean, it sounds very special. And I, I agree. I think everybody deserves that experience, which you're describing, like that energy where you can just let go, let go of all of the boundaries and the, well, not the boundaries, but just kind of let go of everything that, that is holding you back from just being a human being and connecting with people that way. That sounds like extremely special it's hard to create. Yeah. It's difficult. It's it's costly. There are laws and rules and zoning and all of this fucking horse shit that you have to go through just to get a space to gather where you're going to feel safe. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap. Dark corners are. Alleys are. You know, the transitory nature of male sexual exchange, um, you know, is not very verbally or conversationally or intellectually based at least not in my experience you know you can have a high exchange of energy and and intimacy that may be momentary but is no less valuable than some long drawn out ordeal deciding which side of something needs to be turned up one way or the other you know there's a much more direct experience through erotic experience and um Less talky, more fucky. (laughs) You need to watch this movie. Um, So for those of you active listeners, you might have already heard this episode uh, where I talk about a a film called The uh, Equation Unknown. And it's a French film that was uh, came out in the 80s in 1980, um, filmed prior, just a few years prior to the AIDS crisis. And what was interesting to me and you might find this interesting too, was the entire work was pornography, but there was a story. There was a a lot of experiences and emotions and and things that it would put you through, but no dialogue. There was none, but these chance encounters in the bathroom stall, at the docks, at under the bridge, in, in in a bunker, underground no words exchanged but every moment was just in its own way kind of magical and had its own language and had its own language but it wasn't verbal yeah yeah and it and it's interesting to me because for me as you know i was born in 1992 um i'm a younger generation looking at that and only getting probably like the remnants of what Cult, the gay culture at that point was like when you couldn't really be verbal about that with oh, each other yeah. and like those chance encounters were special because that's that's what it was well, that's why you spent so much you spent more time out actually physically cruising or going somewhere as the british call it cottaging uh you know hanging out in highway rest stops or going to cruising cruisy woods griffith park mm-hmm. you know even Elysian park um wherever wherever you are you know they keep trying to stamp you out and and griffith park they kept take closing the roads and you know making painting red red curbs where all the gays used to collect and by the golf course and Mm. uh uh you know that all suddenly all that became a no parking zone this Mm. is the kind of thing i mean about creating space you know they took that space away because men used to go up and i used to go up and cruise there's some areas up in their canyons and things i think some of it burned but Right across from the golf course in Griffith Park. That was a wonderful area. You know, and just yeah. the the adventure, the, I mean, you knew why you were out there. And maybe the one you were looking at wasn't the one. Maybe you'd keep on moving. Maybe you'd stand there next to each other because you couldn't say anything. If you solicited, you didn't say anything because you didn't want to be arrested for solicitation. Right. Because I, I've seen at that very same area, I remember one time I saw uh, an undercover cop had the chain and the ID on around his neck hmm. and put his sweater over it. So it just looked like he was an undercover cop. Oh, okay. And it was always the pretty ones. It's always, <laughs> Watch out for the good they, looking They put ones. the young pretty cops on the on the penis patrol. And <laughs> That's got to be a punk band name. Well, <laughs> the penis patrol? Yeah. <laughs> oh, please, yeah. Um, you know, the, it, 
there was danger to that, but danger was part of the excitement. You know, I mean, just I think like good BDSM, the the T-shirt from so long ago. It's like scared is sexy, terrified is really sexy. You know, do we have that anymore today? Are there? I I, I wonder where the great heavy players are. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm not claiming to be one at this point in my life, but I just wonder. You know, what the current state of the culture is. Have the have the old ones withdrawn and the new people come out and you know, where is the action? How is the action after two years of lockdown? You know, I, I asked the other night, I said, is there any masochism left after two years of COVID? You know? I would argue there might be more. I That was the response that I got that time, so I'm feeling good about that. <laughs> oh, good. Masochism still exists. That's great. Yeah. Because um, I know the sadism does. So you wanted to ask me about the AIDS crisis. Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to talk about sex, but I also don't want to miss the opportunity to ask you about this because you you lived through it. And you know, I'm going to write something down here because I don't want to forget to ask you later. Hold on. There's my gay fingers. Okay. The AIDS crisis. You came out and I mean, you were an adult in the 80s? Oh yeah. North Carolina living in North Carolina. Living in North Carolina. And that's right when when AIDS started coming out, the, the gay cancer, they were calling it. I mean, what was your experience with that? When did you first hear about AIDS and and did it scare the living fuck out of you? Or I, yes, of course. I think the only reason that I'm still here today is because I got diverted. I, I only went to, I was on my way out here in 1978 when I left Michigan. And I got as far as Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I checked in with some high school friends who had ended up down there as well. Okay. I ended up staying for almost 10 years. And that protected me hmm. because I was on my way out here to L.A. in 1978. Wow. As I say, I would have been a brass plaque and a distant memory, um, being the big old fuck old bottom that I I was going to say your whole would have been all over town. Exactly. I mean, I was 20, you know, I was really, I was really young and I, you know, and I was, apparently I wasn't that terrible looking, so it was good enough anyway. And, um, so I really, but seriously, I, something intervened, you know, I mean, I, I I got lucky. So I experienced the onset of the AIDS crisis in, in a non-metropolitan area. And I can remember exactly the day it hit. We were, there was a, a, oh, you'll love this. Uh, I was in a, a men's rap group. Wait a second. 70s. Like Snoop Dogg? No. Like rapping? Rapport. Rap group. We had rap groups. And I'm so confused right now. Well, a rap group was a discussion group. Okay. Oh. This was idiomatic <laughs> speech sorry, from I'm the just, hippie area. I'm just hippie imagining era. Tom. Eminem over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I got me a hole and I got a show because you got to know because I want to go. I need you, though, to come right up my bum. You know I mean, that? No, yeah. not that. Okay, no, so men, it was the. Me, no, 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 rap, rap group. No, no, no. It's, it's perfectly understandable. It's, 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 a, it's a, a slang term from the 60s and 70s um, where you would have rap groups mm-hmm. like, like, Black Panthers, you know, would have rap groups, and okay. it was it was a it was a it meant it meant a group discussion about a topic. Got it. And so we would have gay men's rap groups, um, and had the same. So that was kind of my social circle as well back in, when I was in college. And um, so I had these friends, and they knew this one boy, this one boy, I forget his name, but he sounded like like a twink, probably twinkish like who was, um, had gone to New York and had boyfriends in New York and had come back and, and had HIV. And then he had AIDS. And then one time at a rap group, I was 27. Hmm. I'll never forget this. They came at the rap group. It was announced that this guy had died. And this was the first person I ever knew. who had died. And I didn't, even, I didn't even really even know him. I knew his name and I knew people who knew him. Mm-hmm. And I went in the bathroom and just, vomited just projectile vomited for the longest time that's when sex died for me uh when i was 27 Mm -hmm. there that night in chapel hill and that began that horrible reagan era 
and all the things that people know about it and the death and the dying and the mystery and the unknown um, for years. You know, there were years there from, you know, 81 to 84, I think before, I think HIV was discovered in 1984. So there's at least three years there where it's like you can get it from, that's when poppers, that's when the poppers were, were made not for euphoric use was during that era before they knew so what they, HIV was. They thought that HIV was coming from anal nitrate. That that the poppers might yeah oh it turn your blood brown <clears throat> you know it would it would poison your bro, poison your bro, your bloodstream hmm. from from using poppers. It was I mean nobody knew anything. What's funny to me is we look back at that and think, are they fucking crazy thinking that anal nitrate was causing HIV? But past here, the ivermectin. Here we are today. Yeah. the covid area and there's so many people drinking bleach and people taking horse medicine <laughs> yes yeah hydroxychloroquine and, <laughs> yeah you know, well that's the gay version i guess yeah uh, that's my um, drag name yeah hydroxychloroquine <laughs> so i i was terrified and but i would also say that that was about the time that i got drummer magazine so I made a very conscious decision to explore alternative expressions of sexuality. I don't know if I said it that way then. I'd probably look, get into leather because mm. that wasn't just that you could do it without fluid exchange. And that was a key factor in that it allowed me to continue to explore new and erotic avenues with all, do all kinds of things and use my body as an instrument of transformation as i later came to consider bdsm and and find a way through it without the exchange of fluids without the exchange of fluids so there was a lot of solo play in that farmhouse you know i was there for four and a half years in this place and um had a all, toys and you know the made things you know just like anybody getting into bdsm does you find a paint stick a paint stirring stick mm. you know i mean it starts there it starts at the the things you, the pervertibles you find at the hardware store, or the you know, just what can you do? What can you know? How do you find? You buy a bunch of clothespins, you buy some rope, you buy some, you know, stuff that you can get because there wasn't any, there wasn't anything readily available. You had to make it. Yeah, sure. You went along the way and you discovered, and um, then you when you could buy some things, I guess they were more available. But yeah, this was during that during that time and it was terrifying you know i mean it was just as terrifying as as covid has been for me now that i'm older and you know so you don't have the um just being an older person just watching out for something like covid you know i, I definitely i've been really locked down been through one viral nightmare i didn't need to go through another one mm-hmm. and that suppression i guess that self-preservation um i i managed to come through and remain hiv negative to this day and i said no a lot i had a lot of self-restraint i had a cat and a cat same cat for 20 years Mm -hmm. and i i can remember thinking to myself god if i died who'd take care of marilyn marilyn monroe was her name beautiful calico cat very smart and she traveled with me from north carolina out here and lived a long long time but it's i was very careful i was very careful um and i was lucky that i was very careful um friends that i had in chapel hill passed away after i left to come out here mm-hmm. there are a few of them so i my, I didn't go through what the New York and LA people and the San Francisco people would go through, like people that we know or people that I know who could say, "Oh, I had you know 400 funerals. Yeah. Somebody died on Monday and Thursday and Saturday, and it was I. I didn't experience any of that. I was very blessed uh, and very lucky because it was was horrible. It was I can't I can't imagine. I didn't have a lot of friends. Yeah. Um. So. So I was pretty protected, actually, because I had a good imagination. I had Drummer Magazine and Crisco and toys. And you just learn to, you know, and be careful. And condoms. your whole life. You were doing this kind of exploratory stuff on your own as a kid, even. Sure. So it's oh, like, yeah, absolutely. 
I just continued. I mean, it was, yeah. if anything, yeah, it was in my nature to do that. And I was able to, I was always as a child, I was able to entertain myself for, for hours with games and toys and things. And no one's ever kind of explicitly said this, and you kind of did earlier, but I always wondered if the height of BTSM happened during the AIDS crisis because of the fact that it was a way to have a, a sexual outlet without the exchange of fluids necessarily. I, I I can't honestly speak to that because I did not live in a in a community then that would have shown me that I didn't live in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, I mean it, it it just it wasn't my experience. Mm -hmm. I'm sure from what I've seen that no leathermen dropped like flies. You know, I mean, yeah. they, everybody did. You know, you look at the gay men's chorus and the, you know, that it's like one of the things about Avatar that I was told was that when Avatar formed in 1983, none of them had sex with each other. The wow. gay men's choruses did, and they all got sick and died. Wow. Avatar didn't. So <sighs> that was my experience. I, I was I was very, very fortunate when other people weren't. I remember going to Washington, D.C. for one of the, the, either the first or the second big protest march, March on Washington things, and they had the quilt mm -hmm. laid out on the Washington Mall. And I had moments of breaking down and sobbing then. Yeah. Um, and I, I suppose I did, but he just, I don't know, I was already, I was already living in fear all the time anyway because of my abuser, you know, so... <laughs> the the abuser actually told my brother, I says, well, if Tom got AIDS, I wouldn't do anything to help him because he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. That was the level of compassion that I was uh, subjected to. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, and I, I don't mean to be like offensive when I say this by any means, but when the fact that you were already living in that fear from your abuser and you just had to continue living in that fear with HIV on the rise. I mean, you were kind of already conditioned to deal with threat uh, with, yeah, with threat, threat. deadly threats. Yeah. 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 I, I, th I think you may be right. I think you may be right. And, yeah. and it's my response to s survive. Um, self-preservation, a sense of self-preservation was already there. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw how horrible it was, and you know, and I mean, obviously, I I wasn't, I wasn't living in some bubble, you know. I was perfectly aware of what was going on, and and all the uh, political nonsense, and fuck Ronald Reagan. I wish he were still alive and living in Bel Air, and Nancy was a zombie skeleton taking care of him. But oh, nothing. Um, next on Oprah. Next on oh. Oprah. <laughs> Reanimated Ronnie Reagan takes checks a book out of his own fucking library. And, explodes in hellfire I, <laughs> but oh nothing um i constantly say this is not a political podcast but um there are exceptions trust me your dick and your dick and your ass are very political okay so can we talk about condoms sure um condoms were they a way for you to psychologically relax I'm, I'm i'm sure i'm sure I, I i don't have any specific memories but if i did let somebody fuck me i'm sure it was with the condom okay um yeah i mean because that went on that was still going on in la until prep and prep was only what 2014 because i when i came out as gay i don't even remember what year it was but i was like 19 or 20 i'm so 30 now condoms are kind of passe almost that yeah okay so but here's the thing it was it was okay i remember the year now it was 2012 so this was just as prep was starting to come out and well at least there wasn't on, on a wide yeah i don't think it was that long ago but it was close the cocktails okay. the cocktails were good the cocktail drugs were good and people were surviving right you know this is this is this is what happened it was that in the 80s people just dropped dead and then as, and they had a, a cycle, not a cyclovir, but um, the horrible, the first horrible drug that started with an A. Mm -hmm. And then 
in about the time a lot of guys who were HIV positive had maxed out their credit cards thinking and quit their jobs and drawn out all their life insurance and their retirement money and spent it about the middle of the 90s, they came up with the drug cocktail. Okay. And then those guys were like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to die. There was a, there was a, a, a slice, a demographic right. of people who, of men who were like that. And then they had to heal, get better, and then go back to work and start all over again. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, the, but those are like San Francisco stories. Those are LA stories. And then yeah. the, 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 it's not my story. And probably um, you pay off credit cards. They probably ran you, they had to, They just had to start all over again. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it hit them really hard because it would leave them because they were disabled with HIV, but they weren't dying hmm. and they had planned on dying, but then they didn't. There's hmm. a little slice of people in the mid, in the, in the, there's a, definitely a, 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 a niche group, group of, of people, people like, yes, because I've read about them and I've known a couple of them. My my experience, however, was, and I think you're right, maybe it was 2014, because I remember going on PrEP for the first time when I was 21, 22, and I came out when I was 19. So um, when I first started having sex, my knowledge of HIV was just, it, it's death. That's That was what was going on through my head. Mm-hmm. And my thought was that like, any, any um, encounter with cum or blood or spit or anything was like this was my knowledge coming out of you know visalia california which you think california but it's a small farming town it's and so i came out of there and i remember going to the first bathhouse the hollywood spa do you remember that spa have you been there it was like no i I know what it was but i didn't go no i see this is just it i i didn't go to those places yeah there were a lot of bathhouses. I mean, I've been to some bathhouses. I've done some things, but I just—I was so scared. I remember jerking off with somebody, and they came on my hand, and I thought, "What if I have a paper cut on my hand?" And it was that kind of fear. And I remember using condoms even when I was on prep, and I was only on prep for maybe a year until recently. But um, I'm married now, and I've, I've had a relationship over seven years, and recently we've like opened up over the last few years. But when I came back into like the hookup scene, you know, quote unquote, the hookup scene, Mm -hmm. it was a different dynamic. I remember condoms being a no question. Like if I pulled out a condom and I put it on or they put it on, it it wasn't a discussion. It was just kind of like, that's what you do. But my first time coming back out into like the hookup scene, I pulled out a condom to this guy in a backroom situation. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, I didn't expect that. And he walks away. And I had that experience a few more times where condoms were like, oh, no, I don't want to wear a condom. And I'm like, what? It didn't occur to me that PrEP had changed this whole mentality over the last 10 years. PrEP didn't change that mentality. That mentality was changed by Treasure Island Media. I will say, to to Hmm. name one specific company, um, because if you look at the, uh, and forgive me, Jason, if I get this wrong, but um, it, it, gay porn immediately went safe sex right as soon as they knew what they because they still had yeah. to keep turning up product yeah. right so condoms were condoms you know you get the guy he'd be all hard then in the next scene he's fucking when magically the condom appears yeah, they didn't they never on. showed him put they never showed yeah. him putting it on but it was there and it was visible okay so then porn did that for a long time and then i suppose like mask wearing um it, it may have been dickwad media it may have been treasure island media uh but people started making bareback porn now mm-hmm. this was anathema to people who would come through the crisis i they, remember you had to pay extra for bareback porn right because it was premium stuff yeah right so if you remember when they had to pay extra for bareback porn that's what ate the porn industry huh. okay now some some people some companies are still safe sex and condoms um but there was a market for it mm-hmm. there was a need and to get, i think the need goes back to the needs of that sacred male space Mm. to tie it back into this idea of a sacred male space because what goes on there the most primal male things possible and what's more primal than skin against skin Mm. and it is the i mean prep for me i like i said i was 27 when sex died Mm -hmm. and sex came back alive for me with prep all the 2014 wow so from you know this is probably 82 to, you know, on up. So it was a number of decades, decades I lived through this. And then after prep, I was like, I don't care. 
Because <laughs> at that point, it's like. Well, at that point, at that point, I just felt safe, and I was willing to take the calculated risk of other STDs. I've never, you know, I've been very again. I guess this means I'm not the slut that I like to think I am, but um, or wish I were, whatever. But I, I've never had STD problems. I get tested regularly and all that. You've never had an STD? Well, not. Yes, I think I did once in Michigan years ago. Um, well, Michigan doesn't count. Yeah, I was like really, I was <laughs> really young and dumb. It was like going home from the bar when I was like, God, no, that was like, I was 18 or 19 or something. No, not, wow. not, not, not particularly, no. But I have to tell you that I think this is a, um, I've done a case study of my own, you guys. Um, so last winter for the winter solstice, I jokingly jumped over fire to rid myself of things for the new year. And one of the things that I imagined burning up was STDs. And I jumped over the fire and said, I'm ridding myself of STDs for 2021. And 2021 rolls around. And as soon as I got my vaccine, I was like, you know what? Like, let's get out there. Let's do it. I've been the most sexual You're young. this last year than any other time. And it was my last year of my 20s. I know some people are going to give me heat for this, but it's, Okay, so oh. that was my experience. I did not receive a single STD all year until the very end of the year. And it was from a very close friend of mine who is a fuck buddy of mine who we well, fuck regularly. That happens. And But my, my thought is, with the onset of PrEP, people are getting tested at a minimal every three months to in order to refill their prescriptions. And therefore, you have a more educated community about their sexual health and people who are getting tested regularly so therefore i mean the uh, the numbers game i either had to be really lucky or people are just getting tested more often well i i think the you know the i found prep to be liberating i found the only side effects of prep to be an alleviation of fear and guilt um, those were the side effects of prep for me which has been something you've been living with your whole life yes. until this point absolutely so with the exception of the last couple of years, which happened to have hit me at a certain point in my aging process, that uh, it's kind of a little harder. It's I'm way I feel better. I'm sort of glad I'm not 30 going through this COVID lockdown because I would have probably been chewing the legs on the furniture or something like a bad dog. Um, it's You're making me realize that there's still more to be had. <laughs> I guess prep was liberating for me, mm. and also because I've been with my husband for 15 years. You know, our patterns are such that um, I, I didn't being a fisting bottom here. Well, here, let's get into what, what, what were we talking about. What was this interview for? <laughs> Wasn't this interview for sex? That's I've been right. talking fucking well, politics we, and we, metaphysics <laughs> and sex magic and all this Let's other shit. Let's get to the sex. I Let's mean, get to the raw, juicy, gaping holes that gaping. we all know so we want. So you're a fisting yeah. bottom. Yes. Yes. And I do see the red on your right, so. Yes, you do. Um, I, I have. Well, to be perfectly honest, I have not been terribly active during this lockdown. Um and we'll see how that changes in the future i may be going through a different process in my maturation where these things aren't as important i don't know i'm fine i'm finding that out that's you're, kind of my you're gonna have current to figure out how life to navigate today. that and everyone yeah. has, has figured had to figure out how to navigate that for themselves i mean i like that's but it comes back to the idea of sacred male space mm -hmm. you know finding it once we have that i'm the last the last great sex party I remember was an avatar party in November of 2019. Mm. Um, I like Trimix. So I've kind of come full circle. Um, once I discovered Trimix, which is, for those who don't know, is an injectable ED drug. Um, give you a nice, big, stiff boner. I found that when, uh, one, of, one of the keys to successful aging is to have a large erection, which kind of draws away from the fine lines and wrinkles in your face <laughs> when you're at a party. Um, you can you can just have red light for that. Well, red light and a stiff cock, you know. Trimix is the one that where you stick your dick with it. Right? Yes, it's okay. you you put up with a little prick to get a big prick. Got it. So I I've gotten to the point where 
you know, I mean, good sex parties still give me a reason to live, you know, mm-hmm. as a mature gentleman. It's like, you know, it's, and, and I, I can't be, you get married, you get into a thing and it's like, my husband doesn't care. He's like, go ahead, go do it. It's like, you your know. husband's amazing, by the way, I'm going to be yes, playing violin with him soon. Yes, I certainly hope so. He's looking forward to it. <laughs> He's a musician as well. and um, As well as many things. As many things. But th- this brings me to the question that I was typing with my gay fingers earlier that mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you. You my... were really typing? I just thought you were making noises over there, like no, a sound effect. I take notes. I'm a oh, professional. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Looked like you were just typing randomly. <laughs> my experience growing up was, it's not always about, it's not all about sex. And even my experience in, in the leather community thus far has been, it doesn't always have to be all about sex. So my question to you is, when is it okay for it to be all about sex? All the time. All the time. I know who I am. I know what I like. I know what I want. And I want a place to do it in, which brings me back to the creation of sacred male space. Sounds like that's your mantra. Well, it's my, it is one of the things that makes me feel like I can be of service and purpose to the energy. Because as I get older, I find things are more energetic. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So I learned in looking at the dynamics of the organization that I've been a part of for 25 years, I took the personalities out and just learned to look at the dynamics of the interactions of the organization. Uh Uh-huh. And learning some basic organizational skills, it saved me a lot of drama, needless drama. And I helped bring about some organizational, a mission statement at least, to the organization. And that eliminated a good portion of drama that had negatively impacted our club over the years. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel the same way about what's important and what's important to me is creating the space for me Mm -hmm. personally as an individual to do what i can when i can to help create space for men to be themselves in this is my part of that giant lgbtq plus community this is my function my personal function and you're talking about creating a space where people can experience that carnal energy that you speak of yes it's sex magic. A good fisting scene. I've had my most spiritual experiences in in a sling. Mm-hmm. Um, the connection with my husband, w- with other men, within myself, with energy realms. And that's why I said I, I look at people more as energy now. Mm-hmm. Um, less as egos and more as forces in the community within an organization and about leadership, my leadership style for the things that I'm allowed to lead or people who will allow me to take the lead for which I'm always grateful. Um, It's really about bringing people's energies together and seeing them as forces to create something greater. Like for example, we did the, um, a claw recently in LA, LA is Los Angeles's first adventure with claw, which will now be named something else weekend getaway or whatever. But we were tasked with setting up a 4,000 square foot dungeon, um, for in, in the Bonaventure hotel. And that was a great way for all of us to come out of lockdown. And it was a great way for all of us to interact. And I, I was there, you were there. Lots of men were there mm-hmm. and it was a nice space. Wasn't it? It was yeah. beautiful. It was yeah. beautiful. Uh, I, was like, I, I was the one who said at first, I said, it looks like a fucking Apple store because we had down lighting from all the you know, places and we had slings and things. We, we were very careful in how we placed everything and we had beautiful accent lighting and beautiful artwork. And it was a, a totally amazing space. And I, I was so proud of that. And it was the biggest fucking thing we've ever done because we've worked at Sanctuary, but that's only half that size. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that really lifts my spirits. It, it it gives me a sense of place in the leather community and it makes it worthwhile. I mean, we're all here. I guess I can only speak for myself, but my thought is we're all here because of the sex. Like we're all here because of that experience. Some facet of it at least, right? 
I have. I mean, I didn't come into the leather scene because it didn't turn me on. I have said in the past about the, but I can only speak about the men's community. And I, and I don't, I would never attempt to speak for someone outside of my specific men's community because they're all distinct individual mm-hmm. people with different agendas and needs and so forth. So I'd never speak for them. I observe them. I recognize them. I see them. You know, they're represented. Um, but it's just about being with other men that works for me. For you. That's the experience that you have. That's right? the experience that I have. And I find other men who feel the same way. You know, that that's, that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, now, let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Because I do want to go back to the thought of discussion. And I will say, I think, and maybe you'll agree with this, maybe you don't, there should always be some element of discussion, but maybe too much discussion gets in the way of actually experiencing the energy that you speak of. Exactly. Is that what you're... You, there's a transition, you know, when you... It's almost like being in the park. You know, if, if you're cruising in Griffith Park back in the day, you, you may have a sexual experience with another man and, and never say a word. Hmm. You might not say anything, but you both know what you want. And the signals and the body language and the eye contact and everything else is, is it's happening in a different realm. You know, there's communication there on a different. Absolutely. There's, there's shitloads of communication going on and it doesn't take a word to do. Now, I know that issues of consent are very important, and I think that those, I think that there is a place for discussions. I mean, I am a member of an organization that is a teaching fraternal organization for the last 25 years. So there's definitely a place to talk, and there's a time to talk, and there's a time to walk away and let people do what they need to do. Hmm. You know, there's, there's, I mean, my God, I, Dave and I did 30 programs for Avatar over two and a half years, different lectures every month, people coming in. Of course, there's times to talk, but there's a time to make that shift out of the head, out of the intellect, shut that voice up. Like when I'm in a sling, you know, my ass for people who don't aren't into fisting, your ass is totally connected to your brain, you know, and it's connected down a long individual nervous system called the enteric nervous system. And it's part of your body. It's part of your physiology. And that's a, this is a whole nother podcast. It's how I teach fisting is, is based in physiology of our own bodies and learning how to communicate with your own body. And there's a point where that is almost like a different realm. Hmm. And it's in, you go into that different realm where it's less chatter, 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 chatter. And it's more direct physical experience that to me in my own personal belief moves into a realm of what I call sex magic. Okay. Healing, transformative, real sex magic. Having the, the nodes, the tensions inside your body massaged by an arm going up your ass releases a lot of trapped emotions and trapped negativity stored in the body we're talking like rolfing we're talking like you know different types of somatic body experiences there's massage there's all kinds of ways to approach the physical body to release negativity and pain and so forth I mean, whether it's chiropractic or you know i had an energy where we used to you know because his he 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 evolved from a straight chiropractor into an energy worker, and it, mm. and it worked. Um, and that's where I connected a lot of that to my fisting experience, in that when you move into that realm, you your hole's not going to open up until your brain shuts down, to your head, that voice, that dialogue going on in your head shuts the fuck up. It goes that far, and then you give over to the intelligence that is your gut your your gut instincts this enteric nervous system you turn into a different type of sensory input into your body and into your psyche through fisting now you can do this through flogging you can do it through any any number of physical 
manipulation of the body. Many mediums. But it's the it's the transformation. It's using your body as an instrument of transformation Hmm. through whether it's through pain endurance and the top you know the top rides along with that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, When my husband, who's my top, you know, and I are connected together, we're connected together in a conjugal. That is our conjugal relationships in our marriage. You know, that's how we came together. And it can transport you to different levels of inner awareness, let me say. Different levels of energy play that are certainly far beyond mere words. They're a totally encompassing experience that can flow through you when you are properly stimulated particularly particularly with fisting i'm focusing on fisting but i think this is applicable across the board that using the body manipulating the body allowing your body to be manipulated in in real bdsm is a complete psychic investment into the moment because you can't get that full experience and be sitting back there and thinking about it and running an interior dialogue and commentary. You must give yourself over completely. That's surrender. You know, it's no longer your body, it's his. And he is in you. And you are bonded together on a journey where something else is created because two of you were brought together. And that, those are the kinds of mystical and I would say metaphysical experiences that are possible with good BDSM. We're going to take a pause right there and end our part two for today. Don't forget to stay tuned next week for part three with Tom. As always, guys, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay geeky. Okay.